Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. I'm your lovable furball triple of an anchor man, Jonathan Wiegand, with half my brain tied behind my back, just to make it fair. So this courtroom setting in Star Trek, and the, across the entire franchise really, has led to some of the most unforgettable episodes and some of the best episodes in the series to date. I mean, from the classic two-part, the Menagerie, in the original series, to you know the Next Generations, the Measure of a Man, in Deep Space Nine's episode Inquisition, you know these episodes bring up a host of ethical conundrums that our beloved Star Trek characters have to go through. Luna, even the films, The Voyage Home and The Undiscovered Country, have their memorable moments with these interstellar trials, and now finally. In Strange New World Season 2, Ad Astra per Aspera, the tradition continues, baby, with an emotionally charged trial involving Commander Una Chin Riley, better known as Number One. Now, I don't know about you, Luna, whenever they say Una, I think of Una Thurman, which makes, makes me think of Kill Bill and completely takes me out of it, but that's been from the very beginning, Strange New World, but can't do anything about that. And I mean, this was probably one of the most captivating and thought-provoking episodes in a really long time. It explored a lot of new territories for the franchise while kind of reminding, you know, us longtime Trekkies of why Star Trek has remained such a beloved sci-fi classic. And, you know, it's just a great go-to for these intricate ethical principles in a kind of futuristic way. And again, it's going back to this rehashing of this idea that Star Trek has always been political in some way, shape, or form. It's always commented on current day items and current day issues. And so this is nothing new. And so talking about augments and their acceptance into society and etc. I think it's definitely could be allegory for something else in our own time, but we'll just have to see. Uh, I haven't heard anything from the writers yet or from the showrunners, but it's interesting. And it's just been a crazy, crazy season so far. Really good. They're keeping the series going strong. So, Luna, without further ado, let's get into the review of Ad Astra per Aspera. You know, Luna, I'm I'm definitely thinking about getting a tattoo of that saying. I, I'm kind of surprised that I haven't heard that before. I'm surprised it didn't come up in Enterprise at all because, you know, pre-Federation space exploration is pretty much what Enterprise was about. So, yeah, I was kind of surprised I didn't hear it in that show, but I really like it. Maybe a tattoo one day, maybe with, you know, uh, Starfleet Shield or something. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I have I've about five or six tattoos, so, so we'll see. Maybe one day. However, I I would say this overall, Strange New Worlds definitely has a more confident and in-depth approach to storytelling compared to 
the many older series, you know. With 12 episodes aired so far, the show has experimented, you know, with a lot of different genres and storytelling techniques, and it's resulted in some interesting and unexpected plot twists and subverted tropes. However, the show really has never shined away from taking risk and exploring uncharted territories in terms of the narrative. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, the 12 episodes, we've had whimsical rom-coms, we've had dark body horrors to fairy tale fantasies. The series plot is vast and immersive, developing, you know, these twists, like I mentioned, fresh story arcs that keep everything kind of exciting and unpredictable. I really don't know what I'm going to get. I just know that at some point we're going to get the Lower Decks crossover, but until then, I don't know what's going to happen. And they just said um, in an interview, Anson Mount, that his favorite episode is episode nine of season two because it really does something Trek has never done before. So definitely keeping with that kind of fearlessness and ability to push the envelope. Plus, I think, you know, this execution that the show does, it just adds a lot of depth and nuance to the characters and the themes, making it kind of above a lot of other shows in the franchise, if I had to be honest. It's, to me, I think it's going down some of the best Trek we've had, not of all time, just of the best Trek out right now. I'll say that. And I think it's a must-watch if you're a big Trek fan. Just to be, I don't think you're going to get people that aren't into Trek to watch it, personally, but I think if you're a big fan of Trek, you probably would enjoy some aspects of it. Now, I know the, the fan base is clearly divided on new Trek, but if you enjoy it, who cares what anybody else thinks? At the end of the day, you know, the world is so uh, full of crap right now. <laughs> I can't think of a more elegant way to say anything is that if you can sit down at home or on your phone, wherever you watch it, and kind of escape for 40 to 45 minutes, who cares? If if you like it and you enjoy it, that's all that matters. And So don't be discouraged if people blast you or make fun of you if you're liking stuff. Hey, it's your life. You do what you want, man. Anyway, uh, so this second installment, Ad Astra, Ad Astra Per Aspera, uh, I think it's just a beautifully captivating and masterful courtroom classic like law and order episode that i've kind of been i didn't know i needed it until i started watching it I was like oh yeah this is what i like this is good i mean the only thing else is we just maybe need some iced tea in there to come up and be like say something hilarious i don't know but <laughs> so just for a recap the episode is centered around Enterprise's first officer, Una Chin Riley, and facing the legal repercussions for hiding her true species and the, you know, genetic modifications that happened to her before she was born and when she was a little child. So, um, again, I don't want to, yeah, we don't have to rehash the whole episode, but I will say this episode excels in achieving several goals, one of which is the continued focus of the supporting cast. Captain Pike makes more frequent appearances in this episode. He's still, in my opinion, somewhat underutilized, does uh, express frustration and worry a lot, but he I just feel like they could have used him more, but that'd be my only tick on the episode. However, I'll say Rebecca Ramon, Roman? Rojan? Rebecca Romaine? I don't know. Do you know she, I think she used to be married to the guy from Full House. Am I right? 
I don't know. That was the 90s. It was crazy. Either way, Rebecca Ramon, I'm going to say that, character is given a deserving moment in the spotlight. She's really highlighted here, and it just provides so much depth to her character's arc that's kind of been long awaited, you know, since she debuted in Discovery Season 2. Furthermore, this episode delivers a satisfying conclusion to Una's Season 1 arrest storyline, and it becomes almost cathartic in the way it wraps up and the almost the way it delivers that punchline of okay you have asylum now and so while the episode still embraces the franchise inclusive and progressive values it still manages to portray a nuanced view that encourages starfleet the federations and viewers alike to keep striving towards the the best version of themselves to keep going for better no matter where you are, what kind of level you're at, you could still be better to push the envelope. And that's such a great message, whether you're talking about society, a workplace, an organization, and more importantly, yourself. Just because you've reached your goals doesn't mean you can't attain for more. You can't push yourself for more. Whether that's anything you enjoy, whether it be video games, running marathons, I think that's a great overall message to constantly push yourself again what star trek does so good is that it it inspired i know the audience and me as well to towards a better future and i think that's something we really need in this time of time of life on the earth right now you know it's just not about sci-fi gadgets and you know ufos and aliens it's you know that these characters are center stage and show us the potential of what we can be and what we can become again why star trek is important it gives us a hopeful future which is something i think we all need now i'll say some detractors and some people will say you know star trek has never been woke they've gone woke they've taken the woke medicine i don't do they say that? i don't know <laughs> anyway but to me i think people miss the point entirely that gene roddenberry's undying mission was that he wanted to reflect you know that that instant like infinite diversity and infinite combinations in mankind and that complete tranquility and peace among everybody all humankind and then we would just go to the stars remember and uh, for all the new listeners out there we covered tng behind the scenes and and probably i don't know maybe 30 40 episodes back and talks about how Gene Roddenberry had an issue with his writers because the writers wanted conflict and Gene Roddenberry refused to give conflict between the characters. All the conflict had to be external onto the internal. And the writers were like, this sucks, it's not good, we can't do anything with this, we can't develop these characters without some type of adversity or struggle with one another. And that's why the first season or two of TNG is kind of a little, you know, campy, you know, a little odd for those uh for the crew of the enterprise and it gets a little bit better later on but so that was gene ronberry's mission and i think i think it should be celebrated and embraced for you know these inspirational qualities and kind of a guiding north star towards a better future and and i know this <laughs> i know what it seems like luna's giving me the stink eye or the side eye it, it looks like you know i'm a starfleet recruitment video right now but i'm just saying this is kind of the whole purpose of star trek is that kind of this escapism and better tomorrow and at its core this episode is an impressive window for that and for that self-reflection 
to kind of realign your position, acknowledge your errors, and push through to the desired changes that you want. And you know, those changes may take decades to materialize and most likely require an external push to happen. But nonetheless, like, it's a start. As I forget her name, but as a lawyer gets on the transporter pad, she's like, it's a start. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing. I think that was awesome. And again, kind of wraps up the whole episode. And moving on, make, kind of taking a left, I would say the discernible discharge and sedition conviction of Una almost seems arbitrary. Nonetheless, Una ultimately advances the right of genetically engineered species, including the Illyrians, though her eventual release from prison, allowing Una to serve in Illyrian and Starfleet, thus sets an important precedent and highlights the success for diversity and inclusion, especially when it happens when you're a child and the child has no say in it, and it's kind of like, okay, why are you punishing me for something that I didn't even want? And it, to me, it, it dovetails perfectly into Spoiler alert on DS9, <laughs> you know, the show that's been out for 25 years. Julian, you know, Julian Bashir, the doctor of DS9, is genetically altered as well. And he has to kind of hide that from Starfleet and Section 31 uses that for a while. But that's all I'll say. I don't want to ruin any more. But I would say, kind of going back to Una, it was nice to see her backstory finally revealed, uh, shedding light on her childhood and kind of seeing how like even from her non-Illyrian neighbors drove her to join Starfleet and her, where her strong conviction and space exploration comes from and uh, her adversity and hardship and I mean just I just was really impressed by that the episode and was really insightful and really comprehensive showing you know discrimination struggles phobias and kind of getting past that and past that adversity and and I mentioned before the lawyer that was played by the talented Yatid Bakai and she delivered an amazing outstanding performance and you know as a no-nonsense lawyer Nira who's determined to you know uncover the hypocrisy within Starfleet leadership and Bakai's character is equally invested in revealing which rules the leaders are willing to float and which you know they're not and the which ones the rules are exempt from consequences and it was brilliant display of logic, you know, with the prime directive rule violations versus, you know, the genetic altered people serving in Starfleet alternative. So it was, it was great. And I was like, oh, she's got them there. That's perfect. And then alongside her co-star, I think, you know, they, they were former best friend and maybe even more. I think they had awesome chemistry. It was simply fabulous it was definitely oozing off the screen and you know it made me think you know maybe there was something more than a friendship because they were very she was very offended when una left but who knows and we'll just have to see but um if they ever come back to that storyline but i must say that nira definitely just excellently shows off the episodes just monologues and, and about justice and a better society i just thought they were remarkable and Although I do sincerely wish that the show had more deliberately tackled whether Una's asylum claim would have been worked out for any secret Illyrian officer who wasn't basically the ultimate model minority, as most of the council didn't seem necessary, keen on convert, convicting her in the first place. But even the head prosecuting attorney appeared more eager to use Una to put down Pike. However, as, as Law and Order taught us, as the awesome Dick Wolf taught us, Sometimes you have to give the jury a reason 
to do what they want to do already. And it's quite impressive how well Nira understood that from the very beginning. The science fiction genre provides, in my opinion, just an ample canvas to portray prejudiced mindsets against marginalized communities who are discriminated against or shunned for their differences and may have to resort to hiding their true selves to conform to societal norms. And that's something we've seen in Star Trek so many times, probably across all series. I know definitely, you know, in Strange New Worlds and DS9. So Ad Aspera per Aspera, is it a groundbreaking episode in that regard? And Strange New Worlds never shies from depicting, you know, the consequences of the eugenics war and the human perception of species that resort, you know, to genetic modification. I really did like the Easter egg too, like of how Leanne showed her apparent discomfort with her infamously well-known family name, you know, Khan, and it took center stage, which could be woven to future storylines. Maybe, maybe that's why they're doing laying a little bit of groundwork in Easter egg for us. But ultimately, I think as we wrap up this review, the underlying beauty of Star Trek, you know, and all of its space gallivanting voyages you know they do shed light on universal truth and while it's improbable you know that this specific court case will bring any sudden shift in public opinion and rectify all the mistreatment of Illyrians and genetically modified people nonetheless the bond she shares with the crew now of whom not only proudly serve alongside her but also think of there as their own a teacher comrade you know family and that's huge importance to me you know this underlying utterly heartwarming to kind of witness the whole crew come out fiercely rally around their first officer valuing her beyond all the prejudices that their superiors expect them to abide by and this you know evidence lies in captain's pike sacrifice of his own vacation time by traveling to a toxic planet to help his colleague attain legal justice as well as the authentic and profound spoken testimonies from Spock, Mimbengua, and Leon. I, I just think the entire episode is just emblematic of why this crew is an exceptional ensemble and how standing up for the people you cherish or simply even just being present with them can truly be a revolutionary act. So that's our review of Ed Asper, Asper, <laughs> I want to say Aspartame, but that's not right. Uh, that's been our review of episode two of season two of Strange New Worlds. So now let's get into a little bit of the fun stuff, get into some Easter eggs. We have a few, you know, this latest episode, we had the courtroom, but there were still some awesome nostalgic throwbacks. The first one was kind of the lost story of Enterprise's first captain. So although this episode's, you know, focused on Una and her backstory, we got a lot of new details about Robert April, the very first captain of the NCC 1701 Enterprise. And... So here are some big things we now know about Captain April before he became an admiral in Strange New World. So he sponsored Una's application to the Academy. Uh, April violated the Prime Directive several times. April promoted Una faster than he promoted anyone else before her. And it looks like Una and Pike most have both served under April before Pike became captain in 2250. So it's cool. I always love to get a, that little tidbit, little knowledge you know, that we didn't have before, especially of a b beloved crew. And the crazy thing is, and this is just a reminder too, but they really made it apparent in this episode is that Starfleet captains can be tried 
for the actions of their crew. So Battelle warns Pike he can't take the stand to testify on Una's behalf because if he does, Starfleet could legally prosecute the rest of the Enterprise crew through Pike. That the idea that a Starfleet captain is legally responsible for all the crew under his command has been baked into Trek, you know, for quite some time. And the most glaring reminder I can think of so when Kirk gets on trial for the murder of the Klingon Chancellor, Kang specifically points out that even if Kirk didn't kill Gorkon, he's still legally responsible. Another Easter egg, of course, is the Federation law against genetic engineering. So the history of Starfleet's bias against people with genetic engineering is directly tied to as near a, as the outcome of the eugenics wars on Earth. And this is a reference, of course, to the war first referenced in the original series episode Space Seed, in which we learned genetically enhanced people took control of Earth. And that is our very first episode of OPP. We cover the eugenics wars and how Khan came to power and how we went from, you know, this unsuspecting boy in India all the way to the Botany Bay. So pretty cool. So go check that out. I think it's episode one and two. <laughs> Wild time. So the most prominent, you know, these tyrants that of genetically altered people were Khan, Nuni, and Su took control of the earth using a giant like uh, space laser that was going to heat up the earth atmosphere and he killed a uh, majority of the population. So a little fun fact for everybody and also kind of mention what I was going before and maybe possibly getting a tattoo. So the Starfleet motto before the Federation was ad astra, ad astra per aspra, meaning to the stars through hardship in Latin. And so that was the motto of Starfleet before the formation of the United Federation of Planets. And, you know, this is kind of a reminder there are essentially two versions of Starfleet. You have the one that existed before 2161 and one after. And, of course, we see in Enterprise the version of Starfleet exists pre-Federation in the 2250s, which is why the title Starship is just Enterprise and not USS Enterprise. And if you didn't know, the USS state refers to United Starship, which is, you know, designation given to Star Starfleet ships that are part of the Federation. So just fun fact if you didn't know that. Anyway, that has been our entire review at Astra per Aspera. Thank you so much for listening, Luna. Let's roll. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And boy, it's been a heck of a week. I know there's been a lot of crazy Star Trek news coming out about, you know, Prodigy getting canceled and just a bunch of wild stuff. But uh, never fear. I think we're still in good hands in Star Trek. And I've heard some rumors of why it was canceled. And some of those people think, you know, maybe it's a uh, precursor to us getting Legacy. They didn't have it in the budget. So they had to cut one show. And I'll be honest, if we lose Prodigy, but we get a Legacy, I'm perfectly fine with that. Okay, I'll take that deal. <laughs> I'll take that deal 10 out of 10 times. Thank you all so much for listening. You can always hit us up on social media with, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're all on there. Love to hear from you guys, interact with you guys. And again, please check out www.jasontalksmovies.wordpress.com for all your awesome movie blog review needs. Check it out. He has some good stuff. I know I'm excited for Oppenheimer. He is too. Don't know if I'll see the Barbie movie yet, but we'll see. Anyway, just a reminder, take care of yourselves and those people around you, everybody. And second start of the right, straight on till morning.